that in the midst of cold, warm, whatever, we can say, for all my days, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for Jessica and team filling in for Todd. We're really grateful for them. Just kind of spur the moment over the last day. Thank you so much for that. May we get to praise you. Thank you that perfect love casts out fear. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we are children of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and allowing us to believe in Him and have a relationship with Him. Thank you so much for that. And all God's people said with a warm, big, amen, right? Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right. Good job, Jessica. Team, thank you. Very, very well done. All right. Okay. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Glad you ventured out. You made it. Good group. Good group here. So, uh, how's your uh, New Year 2024, 2020 more going? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I put it this way: you conquering your commitments, you developing your desires, you going with your getter duns, you growing with your goals, you're being intentional with your intentions, you practicing your priorities. You're sticking with your next steps and you're walking away from your whatevers. <laughs> or who cares, right? As you think about what God has given to you to move forward with Him in this year, 2020 more. So, uh, picked one word for 2024. I'm going to try or something like that. Well, that's three, something like that, right? Uh, a number of you have. You shared with me. Some of the words that have come to me, a couple of them, were blessed. Somebody picked the word. I, I just I just want to honor God because He's so kind to me and He's He's blessed me. And I just want to remember those blessings. Another person shared with me their word is boundless. The boundless love of Jesus Christ, the boundless mercy of Jesus Christ, all that He has done for us. He's just He's just boundless. And I'm, I want to I want to give hallelujah to Him. I want to praise Him for that. Those are good words. Mine, as I said, is more. God, I just want you to do more in my life. I want to be more like you. I want to see more happen among us that God would just do a great work. Amen? We don't want to say, well, my well, this year is less, right? Dear Lord, do less this year than you did last year. No, God, do more. You're capable of doing that. Why? Because you're boundless. You can do all sorts of things. Let, just let us get out of the way. You do your work among us. So... Pick a word if that works for you. A number of you have shared with me that you're memorizing. You're working on memorizing Scripture, as I've been working on that too. Uh, daily bread today, Isaiah 26.3. Uh, 26, that will keep him in perfect peace as mind is stayed on thee. Um, it's a little bit different translation. They had the New Living Translation. But working on that, it will keep in perfect peace whose hope is in you, I think is how it was translated in the daily bread and the uh, top, top things there. So... Keep working on that. How many of you read Second Peter this week? Look at that. Yeah, that's the best we've ever had. Man, next week we're going to read Matthew. No, I'm just kidding. Got you all down on that. Good job. That's awesome. Keep after it. Keep reading it. Some people have even told me they've read it more than once this week. I think maybe they're just trying to get it all done at one time, right? 
All right, so keep after it. Hey, and thank you for you guys praying for me that I would pray for my meals. Man, I really appreciate that. I got a number of those even this past week. Hey, I'm praying for you. Did you pray for your meal? I have to go back, no. (laughs) I am having the hardest time, but this morning I did pray for all my meals in my prayer time earlier, okay? And that counts, right? Somebody told me today, yeah, I'd just do it for the whole week at one time. Dear Lord, (laughs) all my meals today and this week, you take care of. Well, keep working on it. That's, you know, major goal for me just to remember to pray for my meal. You got those goals too. You got those goals, we're going to probably make them happen because God's going to help us to be able to do that. So thanks for everybody who told me they were read or reading the book to let me know that. So we're going to read it right now. So if you would, turn to Second Peter. If you don't have a Bible, there's one found in front of you. It's near the end of the Bible. All right? It's not going to be up on the screen because that would have taken me forever to type and put up there. But Second Peter, 61 verses. Um, took me about seven minutes to read it this morning. So it uh, might take less for you, might take more. You probably have a phone or a tablet. Uh, open it up to where you can follow along. I am in the English Standard Version. Uh, your version may be a little bit different, and that's all right, but it'll bring out some important and valuable things for Now, see, if we do it right now, then you have it done for the day. You got it done. You're in great shape. Me too. be the second time I've read it. You ready? Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you more in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing more, That's not in the Bible, but just giving you my word again. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. 
we ourselves heard this story, heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous, a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime their blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice in steady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from the, those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. But the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. 
In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that, was, that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for the fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patience towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, diligent, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I don't know, seven minutes? Doesn't take long to be able to go through it. Thank you so much for following along. So as I was trying to put together kind of an introduction today, um, I don't know what day it was, Tuesday, uh, I was doing my Nordic track. I still have one of those things, you know. Most of them are out on the curb or somewhere at New Horizons or something. But I can pray while I'm on there. I've got a little holder and I can pray while I'm doing my Nordic track. And I look and I, I look in my, my basement room there and uh, there's my book, all my books that I've accumulated over the last 50 years. Well, not all of them are there. Some of them are at church. But I've got a number that I've accumulated from Bible college and from seminary and just growing like you do. And I looked there, and there it was. Alicia just kind of rearranged some of my books for me, gracious woman that she is. Thank you. Um, there I saw a little commentary on First and Second Peter. And I picked up that commentary as I finished. Well, I couldn't do it while I was going. But I finished, and I got off, and I picked up that commentary. And um, it was given to me um, by somebody. And it was written by Louis Barbieri, Dr. Louis Barbieri. He was one of my professors at Moody Bible Institute. <laughs> I had New Testament with him. And it was a wonderful reminder 
just of the education God allowed me to have and to be a part of it. He was a fairly new professor at that time and kind of cool, you know. Everybody liked going to his class. And he was a good, a very good, very good professor. But I used a number of things from there. And then I pulled out another one that was uh, the Bible book by book, which was written by G. Coleman Luck. And he was also a professor at Moody, when I, but he was before me. And, uh, but he did a great job putting together. So a lot of my thoughts have come from that as I try to just give you a little bit of an introduction to the book of Second Peter. Uh, we'll cover a number of things in here, but uh, it was really fun. Just uh, God brought these things to me from, from my past, my education, to remind me of the, the good work that I've done, and um, I'm grateful for that. So in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter identifies himself as Simeon or Simon Peter. In First Peter, you'll notice, if you go back to First Peter chapter 1, he only calls himself Peter. But here he uses kind of more his, his full name that is before him. Simon is his Hebrew name, which was given to him by Jesus when they were at the Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. Peter meets him there at the Sea of Galilee when his brother Andrew brings him to him in John chapter 1. And we'll be kind of going all over a little bit today, so keep your fingers going. In John chapter 1, we read the story of this. It says this, <clears throat> chapter verse 1. Or chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas is his Aramaic name. Aramaic was the popular language of the day in that area. And Peter is his Greek name. And both Cephas and Peter in the Aramaic and also in the, in the Greek mean rock. Rock. We know that. We put that together. Interestingly, he's the only Peter in the New Testament. Fairly popular name, but that's the only Peter that's mentioned in the New Testament, as one of the commentators reminds us. Now, we're trying to understand how Peter is the writer, but this is Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, to give his authenticity to him writing this book. We know this, as it reads in chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, Peter says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. What's he referring to there? He's referring back to John chapter 21. There at the Sea of Galilee, the restoration of Peter. He's denied the Lord three times. He's gone back to fishing as the other disciples have gone back to fishing. And Jesus has this encounter with him. He says to him, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Take care of them. Follow me, okay? And then as he's looking at him, he says, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, chapter 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. That's what he's referring to in 13 and 15. He's referring back. He says, 
I know that I'm going to die pretty soon. It's coming up. And Jesus has already prophesied this. He's already told me this is how it's going to happen. And so we see that as, as he writes. This gives us evidence that this is Simon Peter. Peter, the one who followed Jesus Christ. Because he refers back to what Jesus has done. But in the next verses, in 1 Peter, he goes on to say, or 2 Peter, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. From when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration. It's in Matthew. Let's see, I've got it written down here. It's on your outline too. Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. He's referring back to that. He says, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus and his glory when he, we were on the mountain. And you remember when they're on the mountain, it was a great time. Moses is there, Elijah's there. They're having this time of just delight and everything. And they say that James, John, and Peter say, hey, let's, just, uh, let's make a little booth. Let's make a little tabernacle here so that we can stay here and we can enjoy this. And pretty soon, Moses and Elijah disappear. And Jesus and God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's referring to that right here. He refers to the fact that Jesus prophesied his death. He refers to the fact that they were there in the transfiguration. We were there. This is the Peter who was there to be able to know about Jesus, to see him in his, in his glory for the moment that God had for him in there. Now, Peter himself was originally from the town of Bethsaida. I've got a map up here for you. You can see Bethsaida up there on your right to the top, just to the right of the dot that says this is the Sea of Galilee. That's originally where he was from, but we know that as he comes together in, in what is it, John chapter 1, or Mark chapter 1, it says that um, he goes to the house of Simon Peter, he's coming to heal his mother-in-law, but that's in Capernaum. So somehow he's moved when he, he started out as, as a, as, as a um, younger person. And then as Jesus is ministering with him, we know that he moves to the town of Capernaum and, and has a, a different residence during that time. We also know this. You understand, just even seeing the map, we understand that Peter was a fisherman, obviously, with his brother Andrew, with John and James and their father Zebedee. Probably, as some of the commentaries think, probably they had a business together. And based on what we know a little bit about uh, a house, we think that probably it might have been a pretty lucrative business. They might have done pretty well at what they were doing as fishermen. Now, more about Peter. We know from Mark chapter 1 that when he goes to Capernaum and he heals his mother-in-law, that tells us something about him. How do you get a mother-in-law? You're married, Right? So we understand that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul comments about that too. He says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? I'd never seen that before in that 1 Corinthians 9 verse. Working through that he was married. But Paul confirms that Peter is married and has a believing wife probably traveling with them in the entourage with Jesus and the disciples. Interestingly, in Matthew 18, and, in, and we have that Matthew 18 or Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts chapter 1. There's a listing of the disciples, 
And every time the listing is given, Peter is first. All those four times, every time Peter is listed first. He's often referred to as the first disciple chosen. We know from his boldness in the word and indeed probably marked him as a leader of the disciples, although he's never called the leader of the disciples. He's listed that way, like, like he's probably the leader, but he's never called that way. And we know, we know they struggled with that because the disciples struggled. They kept asking oftentimes, who's the greatest among us? Peter, maybe in his boldness, kept raising his hand. I don't know. <laughs> I am, I am, I don't know. They were all pining for it. We know that. But he's never, he's never listed that way. He's never listed. Okay, Peter is. But when it lists the disciples... He's always listed first in those four places. He's part of what we know, the inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John, those that Jesus allowed to get the closest to him. They were part of the transfiguration. They were part of some miracles. We, we understand that. The inner circle, Peter, James, and John, those that Jesus allowed to be closest to him. We notice in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Servant is the Greek word doulos, and it could be translated bondservant or slave, meaning that he's under the authority and ownership of Jesus. He recognizes that. He's under the authority and the ownership of Jesus. He communicates that he's an apostle, apostle, Communicating, he's one who is sent to serve and to proclaim Jesus after witnessing the resurrection of Jesus. Put together, I think it's humbly, put together, Peter humbly states this. I am under the authority of Jesus, my master, and Jesus, my master, has graciously given me the authority to represent him. Putting my, that's a, those are my words. Humbly, he would say, I, I'm on the authority of Jesus, and Jesus has graciously given me the authority to represent him. Now, no one today can call themselves an apostle like Peter and the disciples did, because we haven't seen the resurrection. That was a definition in their time. The apostles had seen the resurrection. They'd been they'd given the authority from Jesus, but they had seen the resurrection, and none of us have done that, so we can't call ourselves apostles. But we are called, to, to, we are sent to serve and proclaim Jesus. You ever heard that before? You are sent. Say it almost every Sunday, right? All of us have been called to be able to do that, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We have his authority to be able to do that. He is with us. Share together with us. We're all called to do that. So if I could put it this way, it's what I wrote. You and I are a doulos, a valuable and privileged servant under the authority and ownership of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we could say of ourselves as believers... You, if we're talking individually, you are a servant of and sent by the Savior. As a believer, each one of us, we are a servant of and we are sent by the Savior to help our ones follow Jesus. 
got to slide that in a little bit there. This is a reminder. You got that card right there? You give me your your name yet? Take the time to do it. I want to pray for you. We are called to serve the Savior, but we're also sent by the Savior to be able to share the gospel with these people because we love them and we care for them. And they're part of our lives. God has given us His authority to be able to speak into their lives about what He has done for us. Well, that's a little bit about Peter. Do you know all that? Probably you know a lot of it. Might be some new things in there. But that gives us an understanding of who Peter is as he writes this and puts it together for us. Now, who are the recipients? We talked a little bit about the author. Who are the recipients that Peter is writing to? Well, you'll see in chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. You probably noticed this as you heard it, even as you read it. He said, now this is the second letter that I am writing to you. What's the first letter? Yeah, all right. That wasn't a trick question, all right? Second Peter, first Peter, right? This is the second letter that I have written to you, he says. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Well, what does he say in verse 1, chapter 1 of this book? He says, he's writing to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Yeah, but who are those people? He didn't identify him. He says, it's the second letter I've written to you, so we got to go back to the first letter and find out a little bit more about those people. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, told you, he doesn't write Simon Peter, he just uses Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He doesn't mention that he's a servant or a doulos. Now, he says, this is who I'm writing to. Okay, so first letter, this is who he's writing to. He says, now this is who I'm writing to, and this is the second letter I've given to you. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, as they've been scattered abroad because of persecution, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That's who he writes to in 1 Peter, and he says, the second letter I'm writing, he's writing to the same people. We've got a map up here. Tells you a little bit of kind of where we're at. The top map on the right is Bible times. You can see the various places, Cappadocia, Galatia, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Sicilia, Bithynia, Pontus, kind of together. You see that? And that's modern-day Turkey, that area. Kind of, we called it Asia Minor during that time. That's who he's writing to, to people there. As this letter goes out, it's going to be scattered. It's going to be shared together with the people in those various locales, those provinces, those Roman provinces that are there. So this is the second letter, Second Peter, to those people, the same people, to be able to talk to them and stirring up their mind to be able to help them find Jesus. So it gives us a little bit of information about them. Now, we, I think we say this. It's written to Jewish and Christian a Christian and Gentile Christian, Jewish and Gentile Christians. I'll get that straight. Easy for me to say. To Jewish and Gentile Christians, those that they've ministered to, Peter being a Jew has ministered to and loved on them and cared for them. But I think we can say this. This letter is written to all of us here today and to those around us. Amen? It's for us too. God knew that. God knew years ago as he put this together, that we would be studying Second Peter. 
Yes, it was for them in their day, very, very practical to what they're going through, but very practical to what we're going through today. And I would say this, it's written to us, also it's written to our ones who have not yet come to Jesus. It's for them too. And our prayer is, you write these down as you pray for the people that you want to come to know Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that they too would come to the point that they would read First and Second Peter and see what God has for them. Now, as we think about when this was written, we go back to chapter 1 of 2 Peter, and those verses that we found there in in 13 through 15, where where, uh, Peter says, "Since uh, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Well, obviously, he wrote this before he died. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, we understand that, okay? LOL, all right? Laugh out loud, right? We understand that. But he... we, we use what he wrote here to understand the fact that he knows his death is soon to come. It's soon to be a part of the ending of his life. Well, we know that. Remember, go back to John 21. Jesus says of him, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, very interesting. Thursday, I open up my daily, our daily bread. Look at that. John 21. John 21. Exactly what I'm studying for today. Lord, I mean, literally, literally, sometimes I'm a little bit sleepy at 5 o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden I went like that. It's like, whoa, Lord, I get it. You're with me. That's what I'm talking about. It's Second Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. It's in John chapter 21. A simple request. If you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. That's what he follows. As as Jesus is talking about him, when you get older, they're going to have to dress you. You're going to hold your arms out. And Peter's trying to figure things out, and he looks and he goes and he turns to John. He's looking at John and going, well, what about him? What about his death? And Jesus says, doesn't matter, Peter. You follow me. You follow me. John... I got plans for him too. But I'm not talking about John right now, Peter. I'm talking to you. In the midst of all this, this is going to happen. So, Peter, follow me. Listen, my friends. Maybe that's what you need to hear from Jesus today, too. There's all sorts of things around us. What about him? What about... Jesus is saying to you and to me, follow me, Scott. Follow me. Stick with me. All things around. I've got things handled for that person and that person and that person, but you follow me me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't know if you read your daily bread. You didn't know maybe where I was going this week, but when I got that on Thursday morning, it was like, Lord, you're incredible. Somebody wrote this article a year ago, whatever, got placed in this day, and it's right here for me this week as we talk about First Peter and Peter's death that's going to take place. So we know that his death is near, But also we go to chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, as we read earlier, about Paul's letters. And he says, Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And then he makes a little bit, kind of disses him a little bit. Some of the things in his letters are really hard to understand, okay? Gives him a little bit of a hard time, right? But we know that, okay? So Peter says, My death is getting soon. I know it's coming. And then he says, Paul has already written to you 
We've re- you've read some of his letters, so that tells us this. He's going to die after some of Paul's letters have been written. You put those together, that puts us about 67 or 68 A.D. Fun facts to know and tell, I know. Well, that's trying to use is the scripture that he's given points out the date of when he died. I know my death is coming soon. Paul's already written. You've read some of his letters. So Peter has to be written after those letters because they've read the letters. And that helps us to be able to date when his death comes. Now, we know about his death. Well, we don't know. Tradition says about his death. Somewhere around 67, 68 A.D., under the persecution of Nero in Rome, that Peter was martyred for his faith. And that when he died, tradition says, when he died... As he was crucified, he was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified like Jesus. That's just amazing. That's tradition. We don't know it for certain. But there's, there's fairly good evidence that that took place. We know he was martyred. And that, as he said, I, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus was. That would be disrespectful to him. He was crucified upside down. Traditions, not, not shown, but that's tradition that has come to us. Now, the, some of the themes as we get into kind of the meat of there. I'm sure as we read this passage, these chapters, you might have noticed some of the themes that stood out to me. The first is this in chapter 1, verses one five, verses 5 through 8. Um, I've called it the ladder of Christian growth, the steps of Christian growth, where he says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. He gives this kind of ladder of qualities that should be a part of our life as God is working in and through us. You probably noticed this. He finishes chapter 1 in verses 19 through 21. He gives um, the origin of Scripture. It came from God, not man. God guided the writing through the abilities and personalities of the men who wrote. There are some places where it's dictated. We understand that. Thus says the Lord. In a sense, there's a dictation. But, but guys, these guys had their own personality. They had their own style. And God was guiding them in writing this and putting it together as he had. We'll talk more about that as we get into. You'll notice in chapter 2 is all about false teachers and their deceptions. Peter says, look out and watch out for the false teaching and their teaching. I am have to emphasize for you in, in verses, um, verses 4 through uh, 9, I emphasize the four ifs and then the then. He gives four ifs during that. If God, if the, if the, if, if. And then he says, then. I emphasize that. I was reading through that to point that out to you. He's making... Some very important points there. Chapter 3, the coming of the Lord. Again, watch out for the false teachers and their, their false teachings. But then to kind of two main things that come out to me. The first is this. He's saying this in this passage. Look, stand firm. Stand firm in the midst of wickedness and deception. Boy, that fits for today, doesn't it? Amen? Yeah, stand firm in the midst of wickedness and deception. G. Coleman Luck. The author says the attacks are coming from outside the church, as in First Peter. In First Peter, it's talking about persecution, suffering. In Second Peter, they're coming from inside the church. 
In 1 Peter, it's coming from outside the church, or inside, outside the church, suffering, persecution that's all around. And there, Peter's saying the things that we're dealing with are coming from inside the church. So, he says this. As we think about standing firm, I just wrote some of these down. Those eyes going through, there's more. But in one five, make every effort. Make every effort. In one ten, be all the more diligent. In one nine, pay attention. That was today's daily bread, as a matter of fact. Talking about attention. Bill Bill Donahue's book. Pay attention. Pay attention. It was in Daily Bread today, talking about giving attention to that which we need to focus our eyes on Jesus. Okay, Lord, thank you. I get it. <laughs> thank you. Verse 13, 113, stir up. 2.6, making them an example of what's going to happen. 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. 3.1, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of the reminder. 3.11, what sort of people ought you to be? 3.14, be diligent to be found by him. 3.17, take care that you're not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. And then 3.18, the second theme that I see, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God does his work in us, but also we have to do the work and join him in that. Henry Black, we talked about that. See where God is working, then join him in that. We are called to do that. We don't put it on autopilot in our walk with Jesus Christ, right? We are called to stand firm in the midst of wickedness and deception. And that's a part of his theme as he goes through this book. I think that it kind of sounds like maybe Peter's challenging us to have some goals for our life in the spiritual part of our walk with Jesus. That's something we're shooting for, that we're aiming at. And we might stand firm. How can I stand firm? Well, I can stand firm by reading the Word, getting into the Word. I can stand firm by growing in my prayer life. I can stand firm by being a part of the, the body of Christ. We talked last week. We, we want to focus on Jesus more this year. We want to be in the Word more this year. We want to be in community more this year. Those are great goals, and I think Peter would encourage us to that in that sense so that we can stand firm against wickedness and deception. main theme, though, I think is this, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how many times he talks about that. Chapter 1, verse 1, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In chapter, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 1, verse 8, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2.20, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And 3.18 as he finishes. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both the glory both now and forever in the day of eternity. Amen. <laughs> He's trying to get that across to us that, that we would grow in standing firm in wickedness and deception, but that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we could stand firm against wickedness and deception. Those are the things that I see stand out to me. You might see some other things that are, that are really, really valuable, but when he mentions five or six times about growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he's making a point to us. You've got to know what you believe so that you can stand against what is out there is false teaching, which is not true, and be a part of your life. Now, very interesting. Second Peter is much like the book of Jude. Much like the book of Jude. It's almost, it's almost like maybe they borrowed from each other. 
and you're reading Second Peter, you can just kind of carry on, skip over First, Second, Third John. You can go to Jude. You can read through there, but you'll notice they are very, very similar, communicating much the same thing. Check that out for yourself. So as I put it together, as we kind of finish up this morning, um, so let's try to put it together. This is what I. This is where I wrote out kind of a big idea. Knowing the truth, capital T, Jesus and the Word can keep you from being deceived by false teaching. When I first wrote that, read that, or wrote that statement, I put, will keep you from false teaching, but I know that's not true. Because I know people that know the truth and they've been deceived. We all know people that know the truth, but they've been deceived. So I changed that word from will to can. Knowing the truth, capital T, Jesus and the Word can keep you from being deceived by false teachers. Okay? So what did Jesus say of himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He's the truth. He understands that. If he's not the truth, and what he says is not the truth, then he is the biggest liar fibber ever lived. Greed? Oh, yeah, definitely. Nobody did better at telling lies than Jesus, if that's not true. I and the Father are one. If that's not true, man, that's a really big lie. On and on and on and on. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's how you come to a relationship with the Father. If you've never done that, man, today's a great day to come in a relationship with Him. And it comes to what Jesus Christ did for us. His death, burial, and resurrection for us. You believe, you admit that you're a sinner. We all are. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for you. And then confess your faith in Him. Tell Him that. God, I'm a sinner. I recognize you love me so much that you came and came to the cross. You died on the cross for me. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Master. I don't understand everything about that, but I want to know more about you. I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that before, right now, just invite Him to be a part of your life. Knowing the truth, capital T, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and His Word says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them, Lord. Your word is truth. What you've given to us, Jesus saying this at the Father, the word that you've given to us, words that I've spoken, the words that you give to us, your word is truth. That's how I put it together. Knowing the truth, Jesus and his word can keep us from being deceived by false teaching. That's why it's so important to be in the Word of God every day. Look at it. Grow in it. Read Second Peter. Read Jude. Read whatever else you're reading. I know because you're reading in other places. Read the verses that are there in the Daily Bread or the Open Window Devotional. Just have your plan and work your plan. It's a part of make every effort. That's a part about being diligent. That's a part of keeping your stability. We all know that. So that next year when we come, you haven't been deceived in 
you're still here. I don't want to see you walk away. You don't want to see me walk away from the truth. But we see people all around us who know the truth. They know about Jesus. They, they know the Word. They've chosen to walk away and to be deceived by the things of the world. Stay in it, my friend. Stay in it. Hold tight to it. Make every effort to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Jessica to come up here. She's right there. <laughs> Welcome back, Jessica. Thank you so much. I want to sing it's the last verse. Yeah, of, of this. So, um, Catherine, you can put up the last verse of Come Thou Found. There's four verses in the hymnal I looked at. There were only three verses. So uh, I want to do this fourth verse because look at, look at um, what it says. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. There's effort right there. I'm debted, indebted to what Jesus has done for me. But the fact is, I'm constrained to be there. I'm going to stick right there with it. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Any of you have a wandering heart? <laughs> yeah, we all do. We all struggle with that. Different levels, different ways. But that's, God, would you, would you do your work in me? Bind this, this, is this heart that has a tendency to go this way and go this way and, and could get deceived by false teaching, Father. Bind that wandering heart to thee. The, the next the next part, if you would, Catherine, the next part of it. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. He's only speaking for us as he wrote this song. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Keep it next to you, God. I need your help to keep my heart next to you. Seal it for thy courts above. So read that as you guys were practicing this morning. I was thinking about what, what we've finished with because Jessica had asked me about that. I just saw that. Just, that's, that's what we want. That's what Peter wants as he writes to us. That we stand firm in the midst of wickedness and deception. That we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would stand firm.